Southern Skies. Online Media. G'day folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode number 40 of the program where we look at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. This is an Australian federal election quick cast. Brent, we've got a couple of very interesting people from a uh, well, one of the minor parties, I guess, to talk to here. Yeah, it, it's a relatively new party on the scene. It's starting to get some attention, not least because of its uh, rather quirky name. Uh, it's uh, got a very distinctive, memorable and uh, out there kind of name. It's the Australian Sex Party, but uh, one of their candidates is a uh, commercial airline pilot and uh, one of their uh, members who's putting together their uh, transport and aviation policies is a uh, private pilot here in Melbourne. So we were fortunate enough to get the two of them on the phone this close to the election and uh, we've had a good old chat with them about their flying backgrounds and their uh, thoughts on the election in Australia. Well, folks, we're here having the uh, a quick discussion with uh, Ken Hill and Tim Sheen, and they're from the uh, new, relatively new political party here in Australia that uh, come from the small business and civil liberties background and has a rather distinctive, catchy and easily remembered name. It's the Australian Sex Party. Gentlemen, welcome to Playing Crazy Down Under. Hello, how are you? G'day, Not how are you? <laughs> not too bad, guys, not too bad. Well, first thing we're going to do is, uh, Ken, we'll start off with you and we'll just talk to you. I understand you're a private pilot, mate. Uh, that's correct. I, uh, my wife uh, bought me a, a, a trial introductory flight about 15 years ago down at Coldstream and uh, I uh, just fell in love with uh, flying, although I'd always had an ambition, but uh, my other ambition in life was uh, just to be successful in business and I was somewhat focused. But uh, in my uh, 40s, uh, she bought that as a uh, Christmas gift, I think, and uh, I took to it pretty well and uh, kept on going for different ratings and uh, finished up getting my helicopter uh, licence as well and uh, my command instrument rating and uh, and uh, slowly started buying aircraft and trying to turn it into a, business, a small business on the side, uh, which... Okay. Uh, did actually work for quite some time and uh, I had uh, a number of uh, fixed wing and helicopters that we were renting to charter organisations but uh, from a personal uh, point of view I'm mainly uh, a recreational flyer, I enjoy flying I'd almost say that uh, uh, getting involved in aviation saved my life because uh, it's one of those things where you tend not to look after your health that much when you're in business. But uh, <laughs> uh, once I got my licence, I wanted to make sure I never uh, failed my medical and it was uh, <laughs> the uh, start of me starting a, a health regime, which uh, I still live with today. So from that point of view, I think aviation's probably saved my life. There's nothing quite like losing your class two, let alone your class one to keep you healthy. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so how many hours would you have and what... What kinds of aircraft and helicopters have you flown? In uh, fixed wing, I've probably got about uh, 1,100 hours. In the helicopters, about uh, 300 hours. My main helicopter is uh, an R44, which I I used to operate one as a rental uh, through PHS. Uh, yeah. In fact, I operated a couple through PHS. But uh, I currently have a syndicate helicopter, which we just uh, fly recreationally between three uh, three guys. 
Uh, I, I'm endorsing the Bell uh, Long Ranger and um, the, um, the and the R44 in aeroplanes, just to, uh, from the Cessna 421 down to, I guess, my very first plane, of course, was the 150. And uh, But my favourite aeroplane is the Skymaster, the 337, which I've had two of. Oh, okay, yeah, they're the ones with the inline twin, the push-me-pull-you. That's it, and uh, you know they're so underrated by uh, pilots because they probably don't look as cool as having uh, engines on the wing. But in terms of uh, just they're just a, a lovely, steady aircraft, great for IFR work, and um, you know I do feel quite uh, quite comfortable in them. So you have yeah. a uh, specific uh, centre line thrust rating for that? Yes, uh, and in fact uh, I've, I've uh, let my uh, twin engine rating uh, sort of lapse because I've just, uh, uh, why would anyone want a twin engine rating when you've got such a beautiful <laughs> aeroplane like a Skymaster? Yeah, it's just really a type rating, isn't it? You don't have to worry about asymmetric thrust or anything like that. And I've, I've heard that it actually gets better mileage if you shut down the front engine and just cruise on the rear. Well, I must admit, what the uh, very first one I bought uh, was uh, one used in South Australia for uh, fishing, and uh, the chap there did uh, mention that uh, they did run it on one engine, and they got some incredible amount of hours, uh, endurance out of it. Uh, I've never done that. I, I do like the sound of two engines, and uh, <laughs> I, I like the reassurance of that, uh, you know, that uh, synchronous, uh, trying to synchronise the engines. Yeah, get, getting everything running in sync. So, so you're based primarily in Moorabbin, yeah? The helicopter's at Moorabbin, but uh, the fixed wing is at um, Essendon. Okay. And um, I, I truly love Essendon. It's a great airport. But I guess, uh, uh, in fact, uh, Essendon's one of those reasons that I, I've got more and more interested in uh, the politics of aviation because uh, it's becoming more and more expensive to keep your aeroplane in places like uh, Essendon. And yep. uh, although I've contributed to things like Save the Essendon Airport funds and, and the like, uh, it's... Uh, uh, the, the the most recent uh, parking hikes at uh, Essendon really, it's almost guaranteed to stifle any uh, general aviation or certainly in the case of recreational aviators like myself to stay there. Unless you've got a business deduction, it's pretty hard to run it. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And uh, well, in fact, just talking to the mechanics though, uh, I, I think it's uh, it probably is going to stifle the uh, the commercial industry. It's just I don't know how the economics can possibly stack up that people can survive paying those sorts of charges, plus all the other charges involved in running uh, your aircraft. Yeah, I could imagine. Well, we'll have a bit of a chat about uh, those issues in a minute. Uh, Tim, what about your aviation experience? Mine kicked off in um, in actually West Australia, Jandicott, a couple of hours. Um, what I was doing over there was uh, working in in the mines, and um, I'd always had a passion for aviation. And uh, just due to circumstance, I left school fairly early in year ten and pursued a apprenticeship as a mechanic, thinking that um, aviation was out of my sort of grasp, being very expensive, or having to gone to year twelve and. Uh, you know, just going through the Air Force, I didn't really have an idea. But then someone over in West Australia said, oh, no, no, just go and um, just finance it yourself. Go to a flying school and um, and learn how to fly. So that's what I did. I did a little bit in Jandicott and then came back over to Canberra where I grew up. And uh, I wasn't on the, gar- I wasn't on the, as a mechanic anymore. I'd finished my apprenticeship. So um joined the garbage run where we used to run behind a big uh, Kenworth truck and, and um, pick up bins all morning. But it gave me the... Um, the rest of the day to pursue the, my career with um, yep. John Foley there in Canberra, who's an absolute brilliant uh, ground instructor and a bit of a mentor for a lot of people, you know, who kept us going right up through the airline. So uh, that's my association with Robbie Swan too. I did a bit of uh, work in the X-rated industry to finance my career and um, 
that was all pretty good fun. But uh, <laughs> went on to fly in. Um, I got a fantastic opportunity um, helping a friend of my father's fix his car, and he'd just come back from New Guinea. Um, he was a priest or a brother at one of the missionaries there, and um, said, oh, they're always looking for pilots with no hours, you know, to fly Cessnas around. So I thought that would be that'd be a bit of a lark. So. Went over to uh, went over to New Guinea, and uh, that sort of missionary job fell through because they had too many pilots, and they crashed one airplane and bent it up. So one, they had extra too many pilots, so they had me there working as a mechanic, which at um, sixty dollars a month, they just couldn't pay my um, oh, make wow. the repayment make the repayments on my loan for the um, flying. So um, <laughs> yeah, so, well, back back to Canberra, back to pulling um, bins off the ground and. Uh, see how we go from there. But the, the time in New Guinea, I met people and a great little networking place and um, really good little fraternity of pilots up there. No one's out to get you. They're all out to help you, which was really good. So ended up flying, um, started off in, uh, actually, I started off in an old twin bonanza for a shipping company and did a year of that. That was really good fun. It was an old 1960s um, with a bit of history to it, that plane. It was the uh, last, I guess, civilian registered plane out of Saigon when they um, oh, when wow. went on the fall, fall of Saigon and it was six feet of it. Somehow they crammed um, 12 CIA agents into it and flew it over to Singapore where it sat <laughs> for, for many years. And um, a bloke in uh, PNG picked it up and rebuilt it and got it airworthy again. And then my um, former boss, uh, shipping company uh, owner, had me up there flying around the South Pacific Islands uh, just chasing the ships and doing maintenance and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty good fun. Um, he said, just stick with me for a year and I'll put you into the general aviation up there, which was flying uh, Twin Otters and Bandarannies and the like and the old Broom Broom, what are, we, what are they, the BN2 Islanders. Um, okay, all around, which, the, all around the Pacific, yeah? Oh, well, just New Guinea, but the New Guinea Islands, which is, okay. yeah, yeah, um, yeah uh, which sent me half tone deaf in one ear, but uh, if anyone who ever flown a BN2 <laughs> Islander would know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, being a, a pretty tight, uh, as I say, pretty tight fraternity of pilots, ended up uh, getting an interview with uh, the flag carrier up there and uh, did 10 years with them and uh, went on to... One, I did about one year in Australia in between the interview and um, actually getting called up to start training on F-28 and the like. And um, then I've just moved across onto a, a tour job where it's um, three weeks on, three weeks off with another company. So it's uh, okay. it's been a pretty pretty good uh, aviation career in that way. So, yeah, quite um, a full logbook by the sounds of it. Yeah, up around 10,000 hours it, that's going to cost me uh, tradition up there. I think you have a ten thousand hour party and twenty thousand hour party, so that's, uh, a few grand over the bar for that one. Yeah. So, what what kind of aircraft are you flying now? Are you able to tell us that one? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm on uh, Dash Eight. I, I did Dash Eight before, and then uh, went on F one hundreds and back onto Dash Eights now. So. Oh, nice yeah. aircraft. They are. They're very, very um, suitable for PNG. Very versatile. Yep. Um, good little aircraft. Okay, well, getting on to the politics of your party, guys, I guess I should start by asking, you know, obviously it's a minor party and it's a new party. What's the sort of voter do you anticipate picking up? Uh, is it, you know, the sort of disaffected voter who doesn't perhaps want to vote for one of the major parties or someone that would consider you as a, as a genuine alternative? How, how do you envisage that and, and how would you play a role in aviation if you um, got a seat in the parliament? 
I think that uh, the uh, the party uh, probably appeals to uh, everybody from uh, uh, intellectuals to uh, uh, to the donkey vote, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess the the truth of the thing is that. Uh, uh, when we were discussing uh, backing a, a political party, there were a, a number of suggestions for names, and of course uh, uh, there are very uh, clever names, democratic whatever and whatever, uh, but uh, we thought, well, um, there must be a lot of people out there that uh, are attracted to the uh, the name uh, sex, uh, and uh, <laughs> what, we, what we don't know is, of course, uh, when people are voting, uh, how many people really uh, do think uh, and uh, vote uh, carefully about, uh, or, or using their vote carefully. And, uh, you know, it could be three or four percent of people waste their vote. So one is we're hoping to pick up those people and hence the reason for the name. Uh, but in, in general terms, uh, the Australian Sex Party is uh, almost a civil libertarian uh, party. Uh, it's um, uh, certainly uh, there, are, there are very many similarities to the, uh, the aviation industry in that uh, we have the same sort of problems. We're misunderstood by the general public. Uh, we're overregulated and uh, we have to deal with an incredible bureaucracy and uh, that is exactly the same problem that uh, aviation has. In terms of uh, the sex party, we uh uh, our first trial was at, uh, at the uh, by-election of Higgins and, uh, of course, as you know, that's a very conservative uh, electorate. Uh, we really did that more for uh, experience uh, than uh, really uh, intending to uh, uh, make headway there. But uh, to our surprise, that we uh, were uh, we got about 3% of the vote in, a, in mm. the most, well, the, one of the most uh, conservative uh, seats in, in Australia. That's pretty and, well done. Yeah, and in some of the polling booths where we actually had people manning the booths, uh, we got up to 8% of the vote. So <laughs> if you sort of extrapolate that to, uh, or if you look at that and compare it, say, to Family First in the Senate last year, uh, they got less than 2%. I think it was 1.9% of the primary yep. vote. Will without a doubt, will do much better than that. And uh, unf uh, they they got there with preferences. We're reasonably well preferenced uh, by uh, Labor and uh, and uh, the Greens and even down the track a bit uh, by the Liberals, I guess. Oh, so, wow. um, uh, who knows, in a big city, I, I think that uh, uh, a lot of young voters really uh, relate to what we're saying. And it's not just about the sex thing, it's the uh, their, uh, aspects of uh, censorship. The uh, internet mm -hmm. filter really has upset a lot of uh, young oh, yeah. gamers are concerned because uh, mm -hmm. they're going through what uh, we as an industry went through 20 years ago, that everyone <laughs> wants to ban it because it's going to destroy civilization as we know it. That's right. And there's no R rating for games. Everything's MA and, and there's nothing above. So it's quite hard to make those decisions for your kids. Absolutely. And uh, I think that uh, they're, the, they're the sort of voters that uh, who knows what, uh, you know, I believe that those people in particular will be very supportive of the Australian Sex Party. So I guess if we get over 4% of the primary vote, uh, we'll be more than uh, more than happy. Yep. Uh, and if the um, preferential votes come in and uh, flow into us, who knows where that may go. What, uh, what we would love to do is just uh, be able to get one person in the Senate, but I can tell you if we don't do it this time, we'll uh, certainly uh, do it the next time around. Excellent. Now, a quick question for Tim. What made you decide you want to run as a candidate? 
basically me being a whinging pilot, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, we sit there in the in the. I'm starting to sound like I'm, all we do is drink, but um, we sit there in the bar and complain about the woes of the world. And uh, Ken put it perfectly there. We're a very overregulated um, industry, much as the X-rated industry, and it's very frustrating. We got guys, you know, that I fly with going, what a, I don't know why I want to live in Australia anymore. They, they're actually moving overseas to live because they're just feeling they can't do anything anymore and um, I think that's uh, it's not an uncommon consensus you know I think a lot of people are starting to feel that way I, I, I've got very passionate views about the uh, imbalance in in, uh, in um, censorship for example you know it's uh, it's legal to purchase DVDs showing explicit violence and illegal acts while it's illegal to purchase a DVD um, showing legal sexual acts between consultants Consulting adults in Queensland, for example, yep. which is um, where we're running. Well, we're on actually running for the Senate. So you know, just hypocrisies like that are very frustrating. And I think you can sit there and complain about it, or you can um, endeavour to do something about it. Yep. No, I can appreciate that that angle. Uh, it is. We we do hear the phrase the nanny state coming up a lot here in Australia, and uh, a few people have come in to fly here from overseas. Uh, pilots I've worked with, they're like, "Oh my God, the paperwork, everything I have to go through, and the fees, the costs." Ah, oh. but unless they come from Europe, and then they go, "Oh, it's pretty cheap here." <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, yeah, that's probably. Um, you've got to have a yardstick to, to measure it up against, but. Um for, for my understanding, uh, Queensland's getting expensive, and it's and everything's getting regulated. And yeah. every time they regulate something, user pays again. You know, so yep, exactly. Well, let's speaking of user pays and regulation and uh, costs and so on, I think that's a good segue into the specific angle of of aviation. So now, um, Ken, I believe you're doing quite a bit of work towards uh, fabricating, well, establishing the policies around aviation and transportation for the party. Well, I've certainly put in uh, several suggestions because, uh, to a large extent, as I've said, uh, the Australian Sex Party has the same goals as uh, as aviation, uh, and that is uh, minimise bureaucracy. Uh, we don't want to impede, of course, safety, but, uh, uh, you know, if you look at how clever the marketing for CASA has been, uh, if uh, what politician in their right mind could actually ever contest anything that CASA does when they've got <laughs> uh, the word safety in their name? If that was <laughs> yeah. still the CAA or whatever, uh, of course, you'd have politicians questioning some of the decisions, but uh, certainly a brilliant, uh, a brilliant call to uh, make yeah. it the uh, safety authority. And uh, I guess that's the problem that you have. Uh, therefore, politicians are, are, are loath to get involved with it. And I, I just think that um, if you look at aviation, it's just such a, uh, an important aspect of a, of a nation, of a country that's uh, isn't 7,000 square kilometres, I think Australia is. It's just a, a massive land mass. And uh, it would seem to me the uh, infrastructure requirements for uh, aviation as such that uh, it should be treated as an essential service uh, and certainly not something that is thrown on user pay. And again, this, there's a similarity with the uh, with the adult industry because they do the same thing with the OFLC, which stands for the Office of Film and Literature and Classification. And uh, they they have a, a method of censorship uh, by uh, stealth, by, by cost, because people that uh, register, uh, say, um, a major motion picture, The Village or uh, Greater Union might be distributing, uh, they might sell 
10,000 videos or 10,000 DVDs plus the cinema exhibition, and they pay the same uh, uh, cert, uh, certification or to get the classification fee as we pay uh, when uh, you know you might sell 100 or 50 or whatever you know a lesser yeah. amount. So it's really a, a, a form of censorship uh, by by stealth, and uh, to a large extent, I think uh, this is the, what ha- has happened in aviation. Uh, there is a cost impediment at just about every turn. Doesn't matter if it's the attic card or, uh, or or applying for a uh, for your test with uh, CASA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe that uh, if. Uh, if aviation was recognised as an essential service, uh, just like the roads are, uh, are an essential service, you couldn't expect the uh, the road payer, the registration fee, to pay for the roads in their entirety because it just wouldn't stack up. No one would be able to afford to drive on them. And it, <laughs> and it defies logic why we have this situation where there has to be a user pay for a poor kid that's come straight out of school, goes for his licence, and, and you think about it, uh, getting your commercial licence, whether it's a helicopter or a fixed wing, how expensive that is either for the parent oh, yeah. or for the kid to get that licence and then he gets treated like because he has to go and fly in the outback, generally exploited uh, doing a, a thousand hours so, so he can then go onto his turbine and then go on the Qantas or Jetstar or whatever. Uh, it's just nothing but exploitation and really that is happening because of governments not having the courage to do something positive about the uh, about the industry. And the first thing that they have to do is recognise that aviation is an essential service, more so than in any other other country, because just of the large uh, land areas and the you know the small settlements, other than the yep. Eastern Corridor, uh, aviation is just so critical. Uh, and uh, I am always just uh, amazed that I, I think the problem is it's that uh, tall poppy syndrome uh, works against aviators because people think that if you fly an aeroplane, you're wealthy and therefore, you know, you can mm-hmm. afford it or whatever. But the truth is that most of these guys that g- get their licence, uh, uh, if they haven't used their own funds, they've used their parents' funds to get where yep. they're going. And uh, really for the first 20, 30 years of their life, uh, they're, they're living like paupers and uh, and they get no help from the government. Well, that's just unacceptable. Yep. And that's where I believe uh, all political parties, the Liberal Party, you know, they sold off the airports, the Labor Party <laughs> with Albanese, well, geez, what positive thing can I say about it other than I think we can do better and we need somebody that understands that uh, uh, air transport in Australia is an important issue. If you if you guys are able to get a seat in the Senate and so on, you'll be able to leverage for those issues when when you're in power. Absolutely. And I may, I may add, it's not just for aviation, but because there are, there are, uh, aviation, I liken it to small business and our business is uh, also small business. The thing is that most people assume because you're in the adult industry, oh, it's easy because everyone buys uh, the product or whatever. Uh, being in the adult industry is much harder than, and I've been in lots of other industries, <laughs> I'm an electronic engineer for, as my background, I've been in cinema selling equipment, uh, but uh, the adult industry is a very difficult industry because you... Uh, uh, you're dealing with a, a myriad of uh, authorities from town planning at local level, from federal government uh, to state governments, and uh, uh, there are just so many uh, continual impediments which don't actually protect anybody. They just yeah. uh, create work for the public servant uh, or uh, just to uh, create uh, difficulties. And I think, uh, again, I think aviation is the same, but uh, the, 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 that is true of uh, a lot of industry. I, I think that the, the real issue, and I always laugh when you hear 
uh, when Labor's in opposition or when the Liberals are in opposition, they always say we're going to make uh, business easier. We're going to reduce uh, uh, the <laughs> compliance requirements. You tell me once, just once, where it's actually become simpler to run a business. Uh, I remember 20 years ago how easy it was to employ people there and you used yep. to collect tax stamps. Today, uh, if you're starting, a, even with three or four employees, you have to consult an accountant. You can't do that oh, yeah. yourself. So how is that simple? The, 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 the problem is we are being run by fools and, uh, and people are worried about the presentation of Julia or uh, Mr. Abbott. Uh, the truth of the matter is uh, you need somebody there that really starts fighting for small business. And in, in the case of aviation, that's got its own set of problems and uh, we need somebody to fight for that. And yes, the Australian Sixth Party, even though uh, of a strange name, and I'm sure there'd be many conservative aviators that uh, wouldn't like to support it, but the truth of the matter is there wouldn't be another party that has the interests of aviators at heart uh, as the uh, Australian and six party does well you're certainly right in there with the with the game with the, both of you gentlemen being pilots so uh guys we're, we're starting to run out of time here let's wrap it up uh tim have you got any final comments yeah no i'd have to support ken fully on the on, on those issues and and the, just the expense reflecting back on my training um you know i had to go and uh, make a whole bunch of erotic movies with beautiful women to finance mine but you know some people <laughs> what do I do didn't think of that even harder than that but it was ridiculous the cost and at that time i'm not sure now but there was the government said, well, you can't claim it on tax because you don't have the job yet. So it, yes. it's self-training up for then. It was ridiculous. And uh, I'd have to support um, Ken also in, in the depletion of our GA airports. We've got one. Um, they're trying to shut down the Caloundra one as we speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, yep. they are trying in New Guinea and, and other countries, you know, come a natural disaster. They are the hub. They are oh, the yeah. most, you know, supporting Ken's... Uh, that, it just for, it, they are an essential service, and um, it's it's a bit like someone equated it to be a bit like a dam. Everyone, we all need dams, everyone, but uh, no one wants them in their backyard. So, yeah, uh, you know. And I don't know of an airport yet. Just correct me if I'm wrong. That was there um, after the development. The development always comes <laughs> yes. first. They, you know, uh, is it? Uh, not Jin and Dara, uh, Bomber, I think, in Canberra, one of them anyway, um, right next to the airport. So everyone's getting budget housing, you know, like cheap mm -hmm. estate come up, uh, the housing's cheap, great, you know, and then um, all of a sudden the complaints come barraging in because, oh, my God, there's an airport next to us. Well, yeah. yeah no Duh, didn't you look up? <laughs> it's like I've always said, you don't, buy, you don't build a yeah. house next to a freeway and then complain about the noise, but uh, people yeah. seem to do that about airports all the time. Yeah, ironically, it's a beautiful noise, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah, for a lot of us, we love it. But it's it's interesting. I've, I've spoken to a lot of the parties and a lot of the people in transport planning and things like that, and especially in the last couple of weeks, and they've all had the same comment. Like, who are these people who move in and then start complaining? But it would be great to see something like they're, they're talking about starting to introduce in the US, which is the, the concept of uh, contracts for purchase of land and even rental if you're anywhere under a flight path or in a um, near an airport, you sign a, a in your contract. It states you are aware that you are moving in next to an airport and will have airport noise. Yeah, I think that's actually essential. There's some sort of caveat on uh, contracts, and yep. uh, you just look at uh, Point Cook for argument's sake uh, with the uh, mm -hmm. development there. Uh, you really got uh, people that have uh, spent, you know, their million dollar homes, and they're uh, they're in the circuit area almost. And I love aeroplanes, but I wouldn't want to live in the circuit area or uh, under the uh, flight path myself. But <laughs> I, I'd make that choice. But if I did buy a, uh, buy one there, I wouldn't uh, go complaining to anybody. Uh, 10 
years later saying, oh, well, this is dangerous or it's too noisy. Well, yeah. hello. With, with regard yeah. to the user fees too, that's that's a real issue here in, in the United States. They, they fight that very effectively. We don't have the political pull here to take that on. Do we know what percentage of the, the revenue that CASA leeches from pilots finds its way back into aviation-related issues or does it just go into consolidated revenue? I wouldn't know the answer to that. Uh, and, you know, I'm actually not uh, critical necessarily of CASA. I, I think that uh, at some stage you do need a, a, a police force and uh, they do seem to have, uh, they, uh, under the new management, they do seem to have become uh, a, a more sort of in-touch uh, organisation. So, and I would imagine it is a costly thing. If anything, uh, my criticism really is with government that uh, CASA, uh, air services and uh, other institutions probably need more funding, uh, but you can't get it from the uh, the guy uh, earning $25,000, $30,000 living in the outback to, uh, to uh, get his hours up. It's just yeah. uh, it's just an impossibility. Yeah, the only thing I've got with CASA is that there's no and with their services, you know, they're, you pr- they're charging you for all these maps and so on. There's no competition. Whereas if I if I ran at my company and said, oh, this is it takes me five hours to do this, and I'm charging you at this rate, and there's no no incentive to reduce that five hours. Whereas with a bit of competition, if, you know, another company comes in and starts doing it at three hours, charges the same amount, uh, the same hourly rate suddenly they're cheaper than I am and um, I've got to improve my act. There's none of that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. But, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. It's been wonderful chatting to you both. Thanks very much. And I appreciate the opportunity. The only thing I'd remind people that are listening is that, of course, uh, you can vote for Labor, you can vote for Liberal in the lower house, and uh, so you can have whoever you want running the country. Uh, But in the Senate, vote one for the Australian Sex Party. Uh, And uh, that's all we need is some, uh, some influence to start affecting uh, some rational change for uh, aviation. Cool. Thanks, Ken. Okay. Yeah, I think Ken summed that up, uh, just getting common sense back into uh, our politics and uh, a bit of fairness, too, especially small businesses, not having run one, but I can see it would be painful with what, what you, the cost of employing someone. You wonder why people do it. But, uh, <laughs> obviously, we, we need um, small business. Yeah, yep. very true. Okay, gentlemen, well, uh, we'll be interested to see how it uh, looks after the after the election, and uh, hopefully, uh, one way or the other, we'll be able to talk to you in the wash up from all of that. Uh, Ken Hill okay. and Tim Sheen, thanks very much. And there we go, Grant. You know, I was chatting with uh, David Vanderhoof the other day and we were talking about the prospect of talking to some people from the sex party and his comment was, man, I love your political system. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, it's good. But you, you get some out there names and there are some, some minor parties. But as was being said, there's a lot of similarities between what some of these people in the adult industry have gone through and what we in aviation are going through in terms of over-regulation and uh, costs and not being treated fairly and, and no real support from government. I think it's great that they're around and uh, they're giving giving a bit of a chance for some uh, some real change. And with the loss of the Australian Democrat Party, uh, it's nothing like the US Democrat Party. The Democrats used to say uh, our job is to keep the bastards honest. Literally, that was their statement. Uh, it's good to see some independents and some smaller parties stepping up to the plate and uh, trying to lobby to get in. I wish them all the luck because it's it's always good to have that a, a little bit of dynamic, in, especially in the Senate, the upper house area. 
just to, to keep things interesting so it doesn't become a pure two-horse show. Yeah, I think um, some of the things they had to say there were, were, were quite interesting and, and they probably uh, echo a lot of the, well, in fact, they probably, they definitely uh, echo a lot of the concerns that we have on this show and that we've heard from a lot of our fellow pilots and aviators around the around this region of the world. Um, I think uh, it's it's a challenge to get past the name of the party. I, I have to admit, I, I struggle with it myself. I, I, <laughs> and, and, you know, they, they stand for a lot of things that I don't know that I'd support either. But I, but they did have some very, uh, some very interesting things to say about aviation and it's a pity that some of our more uh, mainstream politicians don't view aviation you know in the same sort of light and uh, place a bit more importance on it and realize that yeah it really is an essential service in many cases yep. well we had warren agreeing that was the case yesterday with our quick cast number one and he he seems to, to get it that aviation is important but you know, he's one voice in a very large organization so if we can take the words from warren and uh from Ken and Tim here about from the, this party and, and start spreading it out to other politicians I mean, and, and also to the general public. Improve everyone's awareness of the importance of aviation to the lifeblood of Australia, especially once you get into the regions. Once you get out of the eastern seaboard, it's the big empty and you really need aviation and we're losing that. We are losing the, the uh, aircraft and, and cheap flights and so on out and people want to go for the gentrification. They want to move out into the country but still be able to get to the big smoke for meetings or things like that. Aviation really helps along with roads and rail. That's very true, Grant. And uh, like we said in the last quick cast, this is uh, certainly not about telling our listeners how to vote. You know, vote for whoever uh, you feel you uh, need to vote for. That's that's entirely up to you. Uh, this is uh, all designed to uh, get information out there to you about uh, the candidates and the parties and uh, their aviation-specific policies. So until next time we talk to you, folks, just remember when you're looking around the world of online aviation podcasts, just remember this. <laughs> it's what's down under that counts. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.plainecrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plainecrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. Kind folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.plaincrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks.